you'd like to turn to uh, Ephesians, spend most of our time this morning in the Ephesians passage. Um, I've been part of a a Tuesday ladies Bible study. Uh, Well, we're not meeting now, but we were uh, for uh, for a long time, many years, but uh, I've been part of it for several years. And um, one of the ladies asked, uh, before we closed up with uh, the COVID situation, um, she asked me if I would say something about uh, the, the issue of uh, what's wrong with the world. And I never really had opportunity or took opportunity to deal with that in the last year or so. So I'm going to, um, taking this Ephesians passage, and I'll explain that in, in, a, in a moment, I'm going to be looking at that this week and at least next week and possibly the week after. You've probably heard uh, the phrase, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Have you heard that? Have you heard that phrase somewhere before? Can someone tell me what verse that is in the Bible? It's not in there. But we're still going to be looking at that, and I'll explain that. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you and praise you for your goodness to us, your faithfulness. We thank you for the work that your son has done, that he has come to deliver us from uh, this fallen world. And that means lots of things. But we do pray that this morning as we just begin to to scratch the surface of this uh, topic, this issue, uh, that you will help us to see things from your perspective We pray that you will quicken us by your spirit so that we might warm to the truth of the gospel and the truth of the scriptures. Father, we confess that our hearts are often cold or lukewarm or maybe even hard. And we know that only you, by your spirit and your word, can soften us. We ask that you will do that. We ask that you will help us to feed on the scriptures this morning. We ask for your spirit to help us to understand, to work these things through uh, the way that we live from day to day. We ask that we will be be encouraged uh, in our daily lives uh, because of who Christ is and what he has done. We ask that you will be with us during this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know the uh, exact um, uh, way that it was worded, um, but there's a story, and I don't know where to find it. I think Russell helped me to realize that I was chasing after the wrong person. I was thinking it was uh, C.S. Lewis, but uh, there was some kind of a, a back and forth that was going on in a British newspaper years and years ago, and somebody was talking about what was wrong with the world or asking that question. And you've, you've probably heard of G.K. GK Chesterton, a, a Catholic uh, writer and apologist. And uh, he wrote back into the paper. And uh, I don't know if it was, it sounds like it must have been a, a lady who was talking about this or, or uh, asking the question. He wrote back into the newspaper, like a letter to the editor. And he said, dear madam, here's the question. What is wrong with the world? Dear Madam, I am yours, G.K. Chesterton. So it was a quick answer to the problem, 
what is wrong with the world? He said, I am. And of course, that's true, but it's also not the, not the complete answer. And I'm not going to pretend to give the complete answer, but um, it's not simply uh, our fallen nature, me as an individual. Um, it's, it's a bigger answer to that. There's a bigger answer to that question. And that is summed up very easily in the phrase, the world, the flesh, and the devil. What's wrong with the world? The world, the flesh, and the devil. That includes me. That includes us as fallen people. <clears throat> but I want to look at this um, a little bit this morning. And I don't want to look at it simply in that you walk away with your head hanging and saying, well, uh, you know, um, the world's going to hell in a handbasket or something like that. And the pastor just reminded us of that this morning. Wasn't that lovely? And uh, no, I don't, I don't want you to think of it like that. Because the, the gospel uh, is the power of us understanding the problem, but also solving the problem of what is wrong with the world. It doesn't just tell us what's wrong with the world and then leave us hanging and uh, condemned and all of those things, but it actually uh, solves the problem. But it is a big problem. What is wrong with the world is a big problem. It's a, it's a problem that you can't overcome. You can't even overcome yourself. Uh, you can't over, even overcome your own weaknesses. Uh, not perfectly, uh, let alone how you would go out and fix the big issues, the big things. I like, you know, some of you probably listened to uh, Jordan Peterson, but one of his favorite uh, little sayings is that he talks to a lot of young people um, is he says, don't, if you want to go out and solve the problems of the world, learn to clean your room first. You know, he's saying, do the little things that you don't even know how to do now. And then maybe you can pay attention, a little bit more attention to the big things out there in the world. Uh, it's a hard place. It's a hard place. And I'm not just talking about planet Earth and the ecological problems that we're facing. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the world. The Bible uses the world in a couple of different ways. But one of the main ways, and one of the ways that John uses it quite a bit in the Gospel of John, is that it is the fallen world. It is the um, it is the world that we live in, the culture that we live in, the world that is shaped by the people that live in it, that are broken, they are broken people, they are rebellious, and they're fallen. And uh, they're, it, they're, they're rebellious against God. And because of being rebellious, rebellious against God, and God is the one who has created the world, uh, the, that rebellion shows up in, in ways that bring even more misery to the world, even more misery to us, because we think that somehow without God, we can sort ourselves out, we can sort out the big issues, and yet we can't even begin to change our own nature. We use words like secularism, uh, atheism. Atheism's an interesting one, isn't it? Let's figure out how to solve the problems of the world, uh, which we will say was not created by God because God doesn't exist, so all we have is the world, but we'll figure out how to do it somehow. Uh, the, the first step is wrong. 
uh, but we're too blind to see that. So you have people who say God doesn't exist, or you'll have other people who say, well, I don't know. It's not clear that he exists. Well, the Bible says something else. It says something else, and it says that we're without excuse when we say that he doesn't exist, or that we don't know that he exists, or we worship him in some false way. We have other words these days like pluralism. Uh, that's a good, good word. Uh, interesting concept of human wisdom. There are myriad ways of understanding the world and understanding God, and all of them are equally valid and true. Or, uh, if you don't want to go with the word true, they're all equally valid. That's pluralism. And, and we want to celebrate all of the different ways of uh, either worshiping idols or, or constructing God in our own image. But we're going to celebrate all those because they, they reflect our diversity. And yet again, it's still done out of a, an ignorance of who God is. Uh, and there are other ways to uh, describe the world and its relation to God as well. Um, but these, um, these ways are all born out of, uh, out of the result of, of the fall. They're born out of the result of our rebelling against God. Let me read to you the passage out of 1 John. We'll probably look a little bit more in detail at this next week. But just to remind us of the world. Do not love the world... This is, I think this was read earlier, 1 John 2, 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. Wow, well, we better figure out what the world is so that we don't love it. But as I said, the world is that, it's like that conglomeration of humanity that has fallen short of the glory of God. That's how Romans puts it. We have fallen short of the glory of God. What is the glory of God? God would be glorified if his creatures, created in his image, worshipped him freely and truly in uh, spirit and in truth, which we know is what Jesus came and invited us to do and made possible for us to do. In uh, verse 17 of that passage, the world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. That's another part of the world that we maybe tend to forget. This is where we live. We live here our whole lives. And often, or, or maybe, maybe seldom do we reflect on things that would take us past our experience here in this world, this day-to-day -day experience in the world. Uh, experience in the world we can't escape the world we are in it it is in us we have had an effect on the world around us and I'm not talking simply about the big big issues like um, that, that make it difficult like um, uh, uh, war or uh, murder or you know the the, the big uh, the big issues of fallen People. I'm talking about the simple things that make up you and I. Jealousy, uh, envy, covetousness, um, hatred, dissensions, factions, gossip. Um, even things as simple as, you know, we know we're told if, if we see someone who's, 
who is uh, having a good, a good go in life, things are going well for them, we should rejoice. But sometimes we don't. Sometimes we say, ah, oh, they don't deserve that. They shouldn't get that. What, why don't I get it? Why do they get it? And then we get jealous or, or covetous or envious of other people. So the world is in us, and you know that. You, you can you just look at your lives, and you know that you've struggled with all these kinds of things to one degree or another over your lifetime. And, um, and there are times when you're more sensitive to, sensitive to the fact that these kinds of things are wrong, and you try to work on them and, and change your attitude, or God's word will, become to, will come to convict you a little bit, and you want to change and do things better. The world is hard for us. It is impossible for us to overcome on our own, to fight on our own. Verse 15 in that section said, do not love the world or anything in the world. And yet we know that we do. It talks about loving the world and then it says the world and its desires pass away. The things in the world uh, are passing away and that's one reason that we ought not to be falling in love with the world because if we do we are going to be disappointed because the world is going to pass away it is passing away not only is the world passing away we're passing away and it says the world and its desires pass away but whoever does the will of God lives forever you can outlive the world if you love Christ if you know Christ the world will not have the last word on you. The power and dynamics of the world pushing on us will not have the last say if you are in Christ. You can't overcome the world, but he not only can, he has. Now let me read to you, this is a little bit longer reading than I wanted it to be, but I'm gonna to read to you uh, just a reflection on Monday night, our growth group is studying Ecclesiastes, and I think it's been great to, to, uh, to go through it. We don't come away depressed. We come away, at least I come away, quite encouraged after reading Ecclesiastes and how it just continues to, to, to point us to God. Because if we're looking only at the world, we're going to be so discouraged. <clears throat> so Solomon says, I, under, I undertook great projects. This is Ecclesiastes 2. I built houses for myself, planted vineyards, made gardens and parks, planted all kinds of trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. Now let me just frame this a little bit. This is, this is success in the world. That's what this is. This is incredible success in the world. I bought male and female slaves, had other slaves who were born in my house. I I owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. So Solomon's doing this, and he's doing it in a way that he can kind of step back and look at himself and figure out, is this what I need to be doing? Is this going to bring the fulfillment uh, that I'm looking for? Is that where it's found? 
continues. He said, I denied myself nothing. My eyes desired, I refused into my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. And why is that? Why is it that after, uh, after the kinds of things that you and I do, and we look at here someone who was able to do it on much, much more of a massive scale than us, and he said, it's chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained. And the reason is that that's, we are made for more than that. We can't, we can't fill ourselves with that and be full. Earlier on, in a, or I guess maybe that chapter, the next chapter, it talks about how God has set eternity in our hearts. He's created us for something more than being fulfilled by the world. And so Solomon realized that that was the case. All these things uh, that, that he could fill himself with in the world still were not enough. And in the end, they did not make him the full human being that he wanted to be. The only way that that can happen is for us to be reconciled to God in Christ. Just want to reflect a little bit on Jesus' relationship with the world because this is where our hope is. Our hope is that somebody has been able to come here to the world or someone is able has been able to be part of the world and yet at the same time deal with the world, uh, deal with the hardships of the world and still overcome them. And so in that sense leads the way for us to be able to overcome the world. In John 16, 33, this is on the uh, eve of Jesus leaving um, the world and uh, leaving his disciples scattered and fearful, Jesus promises them a good outcome. He says, I'm, I've been with you several years. I'm leaving now. Um, they don't want that to happen, but he's going. And he says, um, uh, he promises them um, that it will work out. And he says to them in John 16, 33, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. I don't know what kind of uh, worldly pressures that you're experiencing right now, but I guarantee that if I sat down for five minutes and asked you some questions, you'd, you'd, you would reveal those. It, it would become clear that you're dealing with issues that are part of your life in the world, hard issues. Not just the, the, the good things that happen, but that you're dealing with hard issues. And so how is it that you're going to be able to deal with those hard issues right now? And then the ones that will be coming in the future. In the future, it sounds pretty depressing. You read through Ecclesiastes, there's part of it that is depressing. Because he did this continually for some period of time. As he tried to figure out if the world could fulfill him. But Jesus says to his disciples, who are now going to be facing the difficulties of the world without him there, he says, 
you will have trouble. He, he doesn't say, I guarantee this. He just says, in this world, you will have trouble. And in this world, you have had trouble. You are having trouble now. And you will have trouble in the future. And it doesn't mean it's all going to be the same intensity. Nothing like that. Sometimes it's going to get a lot harder than other times. Then you'll be given times of reprieve. You ever had those times where you're going on for five or six months? You, wow, life's been good. I hope that you have. And I hope that you've given God thanks for those periods of time when life is good. But Jesus says, but take heart. He says, take heart. In the middle of these troubles, in the middle of the difficulties, in the middle of things where actually me as, as an individual, we only see this much of what's happening. But then, of course, you can, you can get a little bit more. You can be entertained by it. You can turn on the news and watch the news. Be entertained by the fallenness of the world. But that gets old, too. But Jesus says, take heart. Be encouraged. And he's not just trying to give us a little bit of self-motivation. He's telling us that that's exactly what we can do. Because I, he says, I have overcome the world. Now, this is before his resurrection, but that's basically what it's referring to. But he has also overcome the world in his life. In his life, he overcame the world. He did not sin. He did not rebel against God. And then he gives himself, and in the end, he overcomes the worst that the world can throw at us, which is death. And he overcomes death. His resurrection was a demonstration that the world and all that it throws at us in the course of life, including the final blow of death, is overcome by Christ. That's what his, one of the things that his resurrection is a demonstration of, that he overcame the world. He is the victor over the world. He is the one who has had victory over the world and victory over, the de over death. And if, if you are not trusting in him and found in him and brought into union with him by faith, you will be defeated by the world. The world will kill you. In the end, that's what will happen. It will overcome you. You have no power against it. You are part of the world. We'll look at that a little bit more next week. How the, how the world, we are in the world. It, that's easy to say. But if I say to you, the world is in you, you don't like that so much. But that's, that's true, and we'll look at that a little bit more next week. And just uh, to give, give a, a nice uh, flavor to that, uh, Jesus has provided for that as well. So again, this is, not, this is not a sermon that's meant to make you walk out of here with your head hanging down to your uh, shoes or whatever. Jesus has provided what we need. In John 6.33... Jesus is speaking about the difference between him and uh, Moses and the manna that came down in the wilderness. And Jesus says, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. <clears throat> One of the things that we struggle with in the world is looking for that life. We know we have biological life. We even know we have a life of the spirit. I mean, the human spirit. There is the human spirit. We know that we're alive. And yet at the same time, we, we, we have that sense that we can't guarantee anything else. 
we certainly can't guarantee. You don't have the ability to, um, on your own, under your own power, under the own st- your, your own strength of willpower and spirit, you don't have a way to guarantee the outcome of your life after you die. Now, some people think that they do. Some people think that as I grasp, if I grasp at this now and I do it the way I want to do it, that I'll be good. It'll all work out. No. Death's not like that. Um, God holds us and calls us to account. But Jesus gives life to the world. He comes down. He comes down to in a world that is as, uh, let's see if I can find the, um, uh, yeah, Ephesians 2, the first verse we read, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Jesus comes down and he gives life to the world. The world is dead spiritually. He gives life. He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world, that's Jesus. A couple verses later, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If a man eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. He gives himself for the life of the world. That's where true life comes from. It comes from Christ. And so just finishing up, do you want to overcome the world? You know, a lot of people who are still blinded by the world, they say, no, I don't want to overcome the world. Why would I want to do that? It's fine. Everything's fine. I'm enjoying everything that I'm doing. Uh, I do what I want, when I want. And, uh, and I really, uh, just leave me alone. I don't, I don't want to overcome the world. I'm quite happy here. That's loving the world. If you want to overcome the world, then you must believe in Christ. That's what we should be doing. That's what our call is, to believe in him. Earlier on in John chapter 16, Jesus says, the work of God is, is this, to believe in the one whom he has sent. Jesus has been sent into the world to give us life, to have victory over the world, so that we can have victory over the world in him. And what we are to do is to believe in him and to pursue that belief and to mature that belief and to deepen that belief in Christ. That is the only way that we can overcome the world. But because he has, we will, we do overcome the world. Let us pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for your son. We thank you for the power that is in him. The power of the resurrection. The power of his life that he lived here. And he was not taken in by the world. And he was not battered about by the world in the sense that that he rebelled against the father. He certainly did feel the sting of suffering, no doubt. And the difficulty of uh, fallen man and the way we can mistreat each other and the way in the end how they conspired against him and put him to death. And yet that death was the beginning of his pain for the sin of the world. And his resurrection is the demonstration that he has defeated death and sin. We pray, Lord, that you will help us 
to be found in him. We pray that you will help us to trust in Christ and him alone and to enjoy the benefit knowing that even though in this world we will have trouble, nonetheless, Jesus has overcome the world. And we pray these things that he would be honored and glorified. Amen.